Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepker. Well, we begin today with the vaccine rollout. The government says that it is confident in the supply of COVID vaccines in order to hit targets for inoculating all adults by July. At the same time, under 30s will now be offered an alternative to the AstraZeneca jab because of a possible link to very rare cases of blood clots. The Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, says that there are, quote, more than enough Pfizer and Moderna doses for that age group. I think people can be reassured that we have the high-class safety system run by our world-class regulator, if you like, and then we're totally transparent with all of the side effects, no matter how extremely rare they are. Matt Hancock there. Well, it all follows a change in guidance yesterday from the UK and European regulators to list the risk of clotting as a very rare side effect for the AstraZeneca vaccine. Dr June Rain is the chief executive of the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. Based on the current evidence, the benefits of the COVID-19 vaccine AstraZeneca against COVID-19 and its associated risks, hospitalisation and death, continues to outweigh the risks for the vast majority of people. Dr June Rain there of the MHRA. Well, joining us now is Clive Betts, Labour MP for Sheffield South East. Clive, welcome to the programme again. Thanks for being with us. Um, What do you make of these changes in the rules on the AstraZeneca vaccine? Because a lot of people will come away from it a bit confused, I should think. On the one hand, being told that uh, this is a safe vaccine, definitely one the government wants you to take. But on the other hand, well, possibly not for the under 30s. It's a bit confusing. Well, well, it can be, yes. And I think, uh, you know, right throughout the whole issue of COVID and restrictions, regulations, advice, guidelines... There always is a, a balance to be had, uh, and it, it's, a, it's a balance of there, there are certain things which clearly are beneficial, but then there are downsides to them. Uh, you know, there, there are benefits from the restrictions that we have to have, but the downsides that people get isolated in their homes uh, and, and get uh, lonely uh, and often ill with mental health problems. So there are always a balance. Here you've got a balance um, where there apparently may be some, I think it's not absolutely proved yet, maybe some uh, side effects from the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, but they are far outweighed by the number of people who have been kept out of hospital, kept uh, from becoming very ill, kept from dying uh, by the vaccine. As you go down the age scale, uh, the likelihood of people getting very ill with COVID diminishes, and therefore the balance about whether the the benefits from having the vaccine as against the possible side effects changes. And I think that's Mm. what the regulators are saying, and I think it's a sensible approach. 
Okay. I mean, you've explained it beautifully, but do you think that that subtlety um, is being uh, put across to voters um, and and, um, patients or does the handling all of this increase vaccine hesitancy? Well, well, I hope it doesn't. Uh, and you can never quite tell, can you? I think that the regulators have a difficult job because sometimes people want absolutes, don't they? Is it safe? Will it cause uh, no problems for me in any circumstances? Uh, and you can't give that guarantee. Uh, that, that's what the regulators are saying. They're saying that there are, in some cases, maybe not proven yet potential side effects, but that has to be balanced out against the already thousands and thousands of people who have been stopped from becoming very ill and probably dying by getting COVID because they've had the vaccine. Now, that in the end, you have to weigh these two things up. It's not an absolute, it's a balance. I think the regulators probably have got it right. In the end, I can't second-guess them, and the government can't and shouldn't second-guess them. This should be a job for independent experts, the regulators, people with the the medical uh, and public health knowledge to to tell us what the, the best course of action is. So where you are in Sheffield, I mean, are people talking about this? Are are they worried? I mean, there there, there are, I I know, very large uh, communities from ethnic minorities there, which historically have been reluctant in some cases to get this. Uh, Do you think it's going to disturb that process in Sheffield? Well, I hope it doesn't. Uh, I mean, so far we've done very well, and, and it's great credit to the, the, the GPs, the primary care system, who've done a brilliant job. And, and you know, the public health director in Sheffield, Greg Fell and his staff, you know, communicating, getting into the, particularly the, the, the BME communities uh, where there may be a greater reluctance, explaining, advising, uh, and by and large, getting vaccination rates up there as well. So I think there, there's still a job to be done with some people, but I, I think the communication messages at local level have been good in Sheffield. Now, this may be another challenge, and I think there will actually be a greater challenge nationally to persuade young people to have the vaccine, because I think there will be more of a feeling there, well, I'm not really going to get ill with COVID, why should I bother? There has to be an explanation there that this is a, a wider public interest. If you don't get the vaccine, then the virus carries on spreading in the community, spreading through young people. It will then mutate, mm. and then older people can get the mutation where the vaccine doesn't work as well. So it is a, it is a message to young people, I think we're going to have to look at in the future, about how you've got a wider responsibility uh, to the whole community to get vaccinated. Yeah, indeed. Do you think then that the pace of the vaccination programme, um, which has been you know, incredibly quick, as we all know, should that mean a quicker reopening up of the economy now? Well, I, I think there's a, you know, another real balancing act, isn't there, for the government here? I think it's a difficult job. I, you know, I've been critical of the government on many of the things that they've done wrong during the whole of this process. But you, you've got a, a certainty if you give people dates, and people really want certainty, don't they? I want to know when I can go on holiday. I want to know when I can go and have a, drum, a drink inside the pub. I want to know when I can meet up with my family and friends indoors. On the other hand, uh, you can only do that when the data says it's safe. So you've got those two very difficult things to, to, to balance up. And if uh, I, I think, yes, uh, we, we, we ought to be uh, moving to uh, unlock the economy, unlock uh, our, our ability to meet family and friends uh, safely. But it has to be safely. And that depends on getting uh, rates down. I think so far we see they are coming down. Infection rates are coming down. Hospitalizations are coming down. And thankfully, deaths are coming down as well. Um, but that's got to continue for enabling the unlocking to happen. And I think that's the message to get across to people. You can only have that certainty if people follow the rules now. 
and there's probably just a bit of evidence people are thinking, well, it, it, it's all okay now, isn't it? I can meet family and friends indoors. And anecdotally, I think we've all heard of those sorts of examples. <laughs> but at the same time, I suppose that the problem with this, Clive, is that you've got an economy, particularly somewhere like Sheffield, I imagine, that is really on its knees. I mean, a lot of the smaller businesses, we know the bigger businesses, I mean, your John Lewis, I think, is closing, or one of them is there. Um, yeah. But 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 on a wider scale, the damage has been horrendous. Um, just take us through what the impact has been and, and what you hope might happen coming out of this. Oh yes, I, I think that the, the, the leisure and hospitality industries have been uh, really crippled. You know, for, for, from pubs and, and restaurants in particular. Um, you know, they, 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 some of them will never open again. Unfortunately, others have been supported by, by government grants uh, and assistance. And the extra help in the budget was very welcome uh, to do that. Um, yeah, but also uh, other services like you know, council leisure services. The council in Sheffield have had to put nearly £16 million. They've got some of it back from the government now uh, to just keep our leisure centres alive so they can reopen uh, because they've lost so much income. And, and many councils in the country are in that, in that situation as well. So the public sector and the private sector, particular aspects of it, suffered very hard indeed. On the other hand, you've got big businesses like the, the supermarket chains have done very well out of it, by and large. So it, there's a balance in the economy. Um, manufacturing seems to have recovered reasonably well and doing OK. Um, though I have to say, just in passing, uh, some of the small manufacturers uh, who uh, communicate with me have got real problems getting their exports um, going again um, from January because mm. of the complications of Brexit. So that's coming as an additional hit for some firms as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, look, you've also, interestingly, joined the Fields in Trust campaign uh-huh, as a trustee. Yes, so, yes. so a different issue, but it sort of relates to what we were speaking about, vaccines and, and people sort of maintaining their health. Just tell us what the issue is with green spaces now in Britain. Uh, well, I, I think it is. There are there are green spaces, not, not just out in the countryside where... It's great to be able to go. But I think what, what this has shown us, the, the COVID situation and the restrictions, is how valuable open spaces are in our, our urban areas, uh, where people can just get out. It's the only thing people have been able to do, by and large, apart from sit at home uh, during the, the, the restriction period, is, is get out from the lockdown and just have a walk around. And I think people have increasingly valued that urban open space um, you, know, it, you know, the word field interest actually communicates, uh, you know, a, a wider message about parks, about simple um, grassed areas uh, that can people go and have a bit of uh, um, enjoyment with um, on a sunny day. Uh, th- these are important things. So the field interest is about giving an additional measure of protection to those particular areas. And a big deal recently with Liverpool Council uh, going round uh, the whole of the city and giving protection to hundreds uh, of, uh, of urban spaces and making sure everyone's in a reasonable walking distance of an urban space in their area. I think that, that's an aspiration, a challenge that, that every council in the country should be looking at. And is, is Sheffield well served? I mean, uh, if you wanted to go for a walk now, would you find somewhere easily to do it? Well, I'm very fortunate because Sheffield is one of these wonderful cities uh, where I'm 20 minutes from the town centre and on the edge of the countryside. So I'm very fortunate indeed. But yes, we have. We've got amazing parks in Sheffield. Um, You know, the the, the city has an awful lot of them. I think we we have more trees Mm. than any other city in Europe, apparently. Uh, So I'm told by someone who's been out there and counted them. So it (laughs) is, but I've also run campaigns with local people through the Fields in Trust movement 
uh, to actually get uh, open spaces which were threatened with development designated as field interest. It gives that bit of extra protection, bit of extra certainty that, 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 that really appreciated uh, open spaces and green areas uh, can, can be kept for the future for local communities. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look now at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we start in Northern Ireland, where the power-sharing executive is meeting today to discuss what has been growing disorder in the province. Boris Johnson saying he is deeply concerned following another night of violence. And speaking to us here on Bloomberg Westminster yesterday, DUP MP Geoffrey Donaldson condemned the rioting and put much of the blame on paramilitary criminal gang leaders. There is um, evidence that some of these gangs are orchestrating some of the violence on the streets for their own purposes. I think this is their way of heading back at the police. It's wrong. They're exploiting young people. Um, Where will these paramilitary godfathers be when young people are sitting in court? And last night's riots saw police attacked, petrol bombs thrown and a bus set on fire. Meanwhile, the government has unveiled a £43 million package to help Hong Kong families arriving in the UK. Hong Kongers with British national overseas status will receive help with housing, education and employment, whilst 12 virtual welcome hubs will be set up across the country. Now, around 27,000 applications have been made for the visa scheme, which was brought in after Beijing imposed its new national security law in Hong Kong. Under that scheme, Hong Kong citizens with BNO status can live in Britain for five years and then apply for permanent residency. Now, let's talk about the Labour, or the London mayor election, I should say, in an effort to rev up his campaign against the Labour candidate Sadiq Khan. Tory candidate Sean Bailey has posted a new campaign video on how much it costs to drive into central London, but according to the Daily Mail, Bailey's own vehicle is ULES exempt. A YouGov poll released yesterday by the Evening Standard had Bailey on just 26%, well behind Khan's 47%. If you listen tomorrow, we'll be doing a special programme looking at the role of the London Mayor and how the election is looking just a month before voting begins. Mm. And finally, a report has found that the rollout of coronavirus vaccines in the UK is, quote, breaking the link between infections and deaths. The latest REACT study based on swabs from 140,000 volunteers across England says that they have diverged since January. Now, the study found that an average of just one in 500 people was carrying the virus last month with cases down 60 percent since February. 
Well, joining us now is Joey Jones, Senior Counsel at Grayling. Joey, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. I mean, just let's look at how the whole vaccine issue is being uh, affected now, because there's a lot of a lot of politics hanging on this. Boris Johnson has put out the vaccine programme as perhaps his most successful policy so far. It really is tied to how well this goes on, and there are a lot of question marks now. Yes, and I think that the reality is that the um, the impact of the vaccine programme, which has been uh, thus far uh, obviously notably successful, was easier to immediately ma- uh, measure for people uh, in the earlier stages because the people who were getting vaccinated were those who felt uh, who were at greatest risk and who obviously felt the risk of COVID most strongly. The, the harder task is going to be to persuade uh, younger people who might not feel that the risk from COVID is, is so uh, clear and present for them, if you like, that it's just as important for us as a society that they engage uh, as well. And I think that that's why the, it's widely recognised that the, next, uh, the, the, the coming weeks is going to be a very tricky balancing act for, for the government. Yeah, and, and Mr. Johnson's going to be under enormous pressure, um, is under enormous pressure internally from his own MPs, some of whom want to see the roadmap sped up, the reopening of the economy sped up. And yet there is concern around reopening the economy target date 21st of June, because, for example, you've got the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine doing their kind of modelling calculations. They're worried about a surge of cases and deaths if that is to, to go on, scientists at the University of Warwick, same thing. So there's a worry that actually on the part of scientists about reopening too quickly, but on MPs, that they want to get on with it. Yes, but as long as the Labour Party, broadly speaking, buys into uh, the, uh, the the schedule that's been laid down by Boris, uh, Boris Johnson and his uh, cabinet colleagues, then frankly, there's not much that a, a, a rump of very grumpy Conservative MPs can actually do about it. And and I think that really the it, it, it does demonstrate how a bit of success and a bit of demonstrable competence buys the Prime Minister and his colleagues huge credit in the bank and huge authority, really. I mean, at the, at the moment, or, although you, you rightly say there is a lot of grumbling at the fringes, there's a lot of People saying, well, if it's going so well, you know, we should we should make the most of it and use that as a springboard, if you like, back towards economic activity and something closer to uh, normal life. But because Boris Johnson's judgment, if you like, and uh, Matt Hancock and uh, others has been demonstrated to be sure in the rollout of the vaccine over the past few weeks, that allows him to uh, not to, 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 to stick to his line. Uh, and not really to feel under significant political threat. But a lot of that grumbling that you're talking about, I guess it's focused on the issue of vaccine passports or COVID status certification, as the government would love us to call it instead. Uh, opposed at the moment by 40 Tory MPs uh, and uh, some Labour as well. Is it worth the political capital? Because this is going to be a battleground, isn't it? Uh, I think that there are there are different areas where the benefits or otherwise of I mean those people who are opposed to vaccine uh, passports sort of flat out or, or it, it tends to be on a sort of doctrinal ideological uh, principle that it's just a an infringement of, uh, of personal liberties. On the other side, the more pragmatic p- position, which is clearly where Boris Johnson is coming from uh, at, at the moment looks at it on a case-by-case basis as to where could it actually generate benefits. So 
uh, it's pretty clear that people want to go on a foreign holiday. And if countries overseas uh, impose, uh, well, require some, some form of vaccine or testing passport as a condition of going on holiday, well, uh, I think that, you know, Boris Johnson is, is, is sort of duty bound to say uh, we'll have to go along with it because it's their, you know, it's their jurisdiction. Once you've made that first step and acknowledged the viability of vaccine passports or, or some sort of testing passport uh, alongside it, then I think it does become easier to su- suggest that domestically there are other, other spheres, notably in entertainment, uh, you know, music, festivals, sport, spectator sport, that is, and, uh, and the rest of it, where there, there, there could be where there could be a role. So I mm. think that that's, you know, it's, it's a sort of trajectory that, that, that we're on where each each situation needs to be looked at on its merits. Yeah, absolutely. And it's still very much being explored, um, according to the government. Um, look, the next big test, though, really, um, for the Johnson administration is surely local elections. What do you think the Tories are really hoping to get from these local elections, if anything? It feels though the the main thing that they will be looking uh, to get is some egg on the face of uh, of the Labour Party. I mean, the Labour Party in midterm should normally be expecting to perform very strongly, uh, and there's that, that, there's going to be a lot of focus not just on the local elections, but obviously on the Hartlepool uh, by-election, which is you know classic Labour Labour scene. And the idea of Labour potentially allowing that to slip from their grasp. Even if Labour perform quite well, you know, uh, or, or perform above expectation in local elections, if they lose Hartlepool, then that will be seen as an emblemat- emblematic crumble, further crumbling of the red wall, if you like, and playing into the narrative that Boris Johnson can win seats uh, in in Labour heartland. So actually, it feels it feels to me as though the the, the risk is more on the as far as England, uh, England and parts of Wales are concerned. Uh, is greater uh, for the Labour Party in, in the coming weeks, whereas obviously for, uh, for Boris Johnson, as he looks further afield to Scotland and Northern Ireland, then that's where the concern, particularly in Scotland, well, electorally, that's where it's difficult for the Tories. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, both, as you say, extremely difficult. Let's take them in turn briefly. Scotland, uh, any sign, do you think, now that the Tories could in any way break through at the SNP's expense and the split of the SNP? Is that going to help? Uh, well, the initial polling suggests that um, Alex Salmond's new party, uh, Alba, or Alaba, I think, however, the, the, what the correct pronunciation, uh, I think Alex Salmond obviously himself was saying Alba, is going to be a bit of a damp squib, though, you know, it's obviously very early days. So let's, let's see whether that, whether that does transpire. It's obviously a gift. It's manna from heaven for Labour and for the, uh, and for the Tories to see splits in the SNP, but it doesn't feel as though it's necessarily going to have the impact at the, at the ballot box that will significantly diminish um, the authority that Nicola Sturgeon will have after, after those elections. It's going to be a big, big headache, I think, for Boris Johnson uh, as he looks at the, the union, mm. in, it, which is really straining at the, straining, uh, fraying at the edges right at the moment. Yeah, more than just a headache, Northern Ireland, violence there. The Prime Minister is saying he's deeply concerned. This is really an incredibly difficult situation. It, it, it is because it feels as though it's loosed from any ability for the political leaders to, you know, even shape or, or control what's going on. It's, it's a sort of blame game going on 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 all sides uh and and this is the thing boris johnson's personal uh brand like translates 
really well, as we've seen, into sections of uh, of England and Wales, uh, where the Labour Party has tended to be strong. But it's, ne- it's never really, he's never been a popular figure in Scotland or in Northern Ireland. And, and it's, I mean, he said that he was deeply concerned, but this is a single tweet that he, he put out yesterday. He's not, as, as and, until we hear more later on, he's not really directly engaged and putting his own personal um, uh, sort of stock on the line in terms of trying to forge some sort of a situation. And I think, to be honest, that reflects the fact that, that he's not really sure what he would be able to do to actually improve a very worrying situation. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.